I'm here with Joni Whitworth, founder of Future Prairie and Artist Collective. Joni, can you tell us a little bit about how Future Prairie got started and what is it? Yeah, let's see. So we are a nonprofit based in Portland and we work with people all over the Pacific Northwest and a little bit of the West Coast. I, you know, I grew up in a working class family and I was always really interested in the arts. Um, I left home at 16 and I've been working to support myself ever since. And alongside that, trying to develop myself and my artistic voice. And when I started getting more artistic opportunities in Portland, I noticed there weren't a lot of opportunities for queer emerging artists. Mm. And that was part of why I was interested in founding Future Prairie as a nonprofit. Um, And I did that in January of 2018 as a way to create more opportunities for marginalized artists in Portland, specifically who identify as queer, mm-hmm. to uh, meet with each other and connect and collaborate. And definitely the goal was to spend quality time together in person, mm-hmm. both in um, like events and showcases, and also um, in more informal hangouts. And I'm really proud that those original goals have, been met, have definitely been met. Some of the artists that I've introduced have become best friends and even business partners and lovers. And I'm incredibly grateful for that outcome. I think love is a big part of what we're working towards. And I consider mm. devotion to be my, my orienting strategy. Wow, that's beautiful. Devotion as your orienting strategy. Can you expand on that a little bit more? Yeah, well, you know, running a nonprofit is pretty complex. The administrative load is very heavy. Mm-hmm. And so to do that type of work, especially in what is usually either unpaid or underpaid, you have to have a concept of devotion to the work and mm. feeling that it's genuinely important. Otherwise, it's not worth it. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, when, you, when you see things like we had a, a really beautiful show right before COVID in January of 2020. It was our biggest art show ever. And, you know, hundreds of people came and met and were able to showcase new work for the first time um, in a really beautiful um, historic venue that used to be a church and now it's more like a venue. And to be together in person and have such incredible quality time before COVID, it it was so meaningful. And I think it was part of what kind of pulled some of our artists through those really, really dark and lonely days. Yeah. Wow. Just having like that beacon of of memory and sense memory of being together and, and being creative together. Really yeah, it was amazing. I mean, we had a girl there doing a tea ceremony. People were giving and receiving massages. A lot of people were on dates. Um, <laughs> we had an altar to like honor people who had passed away. And that was before COVID. We were just honoring people who had died from uh, like gay nightclub shootings and things like that. And mm-hmm. it was, we had a totally different focus and we, we hardly even finished grieving and processing that when COVID began. So yeah, I think that type of meaningful quality time together is incredibly important for all people and especially for mm-hmm. the queer community. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's something um, very queer too about bringing the language of love and devotion and relationship into, you know, the space of work. (laughs) And I think a lot of artists, you know, um, struggle with bridging those worlds of um, kind of the, the business of making one's art and sustaining oneself while doing so and shifting that lens to, you know, 
we can help each other sustain one another <laughs> as a community is really powerful. It really speaks to how different Future Prairie is from a lot of other arts organizations in the Pacific Northwest, but I would venture to say <laughs> broadly. So like in addition to specifically focusing on supporting queer artists, what sets Future Prairie apart from other arts organizations? Well, you know, a lot of nonprofits are going through um, <laughs> uh, a reckoning in terms of organizational structure and leadership hierarchy. It's definitely an interesting time and a chaotic time in, in the landscape of nonprofits. We have people exploring alternate models of leadership, um, doing things like circular leadership or non-hierarchical leadership where there's no person who's technically in charge. When it comes to things like the IRS, when you go to get your nonprofit tax uh, approval, you can't, they don't believe in that. They're not interested in that type of leadership model. They, you have to name three people. Does not and compute. How, <laughs> yeah, they the does boss? not compute. <laughs> who is in charge actually and who's making decisions and who do we call about money? They really need to know those things. So, you know, as we're trying to clear the structure of things, we're sort of working within inflexible structures. <laughs> but right. um, yeah, and, and also I've seen, you know, collectives that even and we saw a lot of this during the protests in the summer of 2020 pop-up groups and squads and collectives that um it, circular leadership model did not work well for them it was a disaster you know ma making decisions by committee is uh, incredibly painful so i think there is not necessarily a perfect solution but what i'm encouraged by is that many of us are trying new things and experimenting in this space and i think great leadership is about having a vision so we do have um, a pretty clear vision. You know, we're a collective of queer artists and we are pretty open. Anyone can apply and submit their work for consideration. We're always going to be prioritizing LGBTQIA plus artists. And an incredibly important aspect of our work is that we ensure that all of our artists get paid. Nobody who works on a future prairie project, unless they specifically, you know, ask to volunteer their time, is working for free. Um, mm. If they're a creator whether that's working on the flyer, a personal flyer for an event or a mural or performing, they are not working for free. And that's uh, something that's incredibly meaningful to me as a working class artist. That's part of what I'm trying to create specifically. Yes, thank you. So when you, you mentioned Future Prairie projects, um, what are some examples of projects that Future Prairie has done or is, has in the works at the moment? Yeah, so we have probably our main programming is our podcast, which we've been running since 2018. It's one-on-one -on -one interviews with marginalized artists, most of whom identify as queer, and talking to them about their, pro their practice, their process of art making, and asking them questions about the future specifically. All of our work at Future Prairie tends to at least touch on the theme of the future or center forward-thinking narratives. So on the podcast, that's often what I'm asking people about is I'm kind of getting their personal hot take on the future. And, you know, a lot of that is speculative, of course. But I do think it's really important to collect narratives from queer people specifically about better futures because our past is so incredibly ridden with trauma. I'm not interested in creating a future or being part of a future where queer people are still experiencing trauma. I'm interested in, you know, looking at what changes need to be made to create something better and safer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. 
just needed a breath there. <laughs> totally. Yeah. What does the future prairie look like? Or what? where does this name come from? <laughs> yeah, well, it's a, it's a bit of a long story. Um, I, I have some writing about it, which I should try to send you, but it might be longer than we have full time for. But in brief, the, the concept of a future prairie has a few different aspects and layers. One of them is that a prairie is incredibly biodiverse. It's a site of legacy and reckoning, and specifically in America. We're not a global institution. We're only working with American artists. And when we look at the past, we think about the way that people expanded westward across the prairies. They had, there was this sort of narrative and theme of hope and exploration and obviously conquering and colonialism and sort of um, building new things and a lot of excitement around that. And when we look back at that now, the way we think about those narratives is completely different. We, we, Mm. we, we see how devastating it actually was Mm -hmm. and that in the excitement of, creating the new world and expanding across the prairie and coming to the West Coast, that actually those acts were riddled with devastation, including decimation of communities of uh, humans and plants and animals and the entire ecosystems. And so I try to be really cognizant of that. You know, when we, um, the science we have now is not the final science. The medicine and art we have now is not the final or best medicine and art. It's, Mm you know, we're actually still in history. We're in conversation with our past and our future. And Mm -hmm. so how can we make sure that what we're working on now is ethical and moral and creative and good, tangibly good in a real way, Mm -hmm. and not just kind of messing around and then we're going to look back later and say, oh my God, what a horrible mistake. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Is it a future um, that is habitable? (laughs) Yeah, I know. I, I think a lot about that a lot with, you know, gender and queerness and mm. pronouns. I do identify as non-binary. And so for now, I'm, I'm using they, they, them pronouns, but I don't think it's a perfect solution. It's extremely clunky. It doesn't, it, I don't think it's the final answer in terms of language. It just happens to be what we've decided to do for now. Right. It's so certainly much of an evolving the... space. Yeah. Yeah creating that space to create and to explore and to embody the reality that we want (laughs) to see. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. You know, I'm sure that there have been so many ways that Future Prairie and all of the artists that have been involved over the years um, have had to adapt as we continue to live in a pandemic. But I am curious, you know, you were mentioning these gatherings and these collective virtual experiences and very like tangible ways of cultivating community amongst artists and generating support. How did you find that or or curate those connection spaces with the introduction of COVID-19 into our world? Yeah, it was a little tricky because so much of the the main programming and what everyone found most exciting about the collective was the opportunity to gather in person. We had art shows. For a time, we had monthly, but it was too stressful, so I switched to doing it quarterly. But yeah, in person at cute little venues and also once in a while, huge venues. And obviously, that was not possible during COVID. So we, yeah, we experimented a lot. We tried a few different models. We had a couple Zoom shows. That was 
fine and fun, but it was the early days of COVID before everyone was exhausted from Zoom. <laughs> I don't think I would want to be hosting Zoom shows now for, for years and yeah. years to come. That's not an exciting aspect of programming for me. But we did, but we did, you know, in a pinch, it'll do. At least you can see people's faces if they are interested in being on camera and remember that we still exist. But I don't think it's a permanent solution. And I'm excited to be getting back to in-person gatherings when we can. We've had a few, but nothing this order like what we used to do. I think, to be honest, the main change, and we're seeing this through a lot of content creators, especially on TikTok, is just pivoting to media making instead of, yeah, instead of like something like a concert. It, yeah, musicians, especially musicians, we're hearing this a lot in the music industry, that it's more effective and popular to create a single than a whole mm-hmm. album and try to tour it. One single and one music video has a lot more legs than an entire album and a tour. We'll see how that really lands in terms of making money. I think that landscape is changing really quickly. And there's also a bit of a call out uh, accountability process going on right now with music venues, charging artists, exorbitant fees to perform. So Mm -hmm. again, like that will change a lot too. But in terms of us specifically, we just pivoted to making so much more media. We produced two music videos, a short film, about a queer love story, interviews, a mini documentary, just a lot more content. Wow, but again, I don't know really if you want exciting. to be a content machine. Like it's, it is right. really exciting, but it's, it's different. It's like becoming a production studio, which is kind of a whole other game and an entire business model. No <laughs> I don't kidding. necessarily know if that's where, is it, it's, it's an option we could take, but it's maybe not the most interesting from a communitarian perspective. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in keeping with one of the the central values of Future Prairie, it sounds like, you know, there is such a fine balance to strike of um, wanting to generate opportunities to compensate artists for their work, while not, you know, controlling or untowardly influencing what work they are making. And maybe from your own experience, how have you as a working artist approached that that balance of, you know, being a person who has needs and needs to <laughs> have a livelihood to to meet them and then, you know, making choices about what kind of work to make. Mm. That, was a, that was a curveball. So Do you mean, <laughs> so let me make sure I understand the question. Basically, personal art versus like community building? I think I'm trying to get at that analysis of like, well, I could make a whole album because that's what I do and that's my vision or I can make a single or I could book a tour (laughs) and tour the last album again to make, you know, money. Yeah. Yeah. Almost like prioritization, like decision making within the business of art making. Yeah. Is that like a a discussion amongst artists involved with Future Prairie that's, that's really up right now? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely it is. And I and I would say a huge factor in that too is creative burnout. I don't I don't think anyone has fully processed the trauma of the pandemic or the wildfires mm. or the protests. So <laughs> there's like friend, there's, yes. there's a lot of layers <laughs> to all of that that are still quite fresh that make it hard to be in a creative headspace. I don't think that has to be an excuse. Certainly there's a, a legacy and a precedent of great, great art making in hard times, but <laughs> it, it certainly is challenging, especially 
you know, when you when I think about something like a film production, like the short films that we've made have been so hard to do and so complex and there's a lot of moving parts to coordinate. You're coordinating a lot of people and bodies and food and props and makeup to all arrive at the same place at the same time. That scale of coordination requires emotional investment and commitment. And if mm. people are struggling with real human problems like depression, anxiety, PTSD from all of these incidents, it is it is harder. It's definitely, definitely harder to be an artist. So yeah, I don't, I don't think, you know, not to harp on, oh, it's so much harder for us than let's say, you know, um, the labor doctors or other people who've had it really rough in the pandemic, but just to say that art is incredibly important in the creation of new societies and certainly America and Portland especially are primed for a new society to be constructed or a slightly improved uh, societal conditions. Mm -hmm. And then because artists are people, (laughs) um, you know, connection and community are so important to, to sustaining us through these hard times. So I definitely want our listeners to know about the events and an exciting exhibit that's in the works. Can you share with listeners what they have to look forward to and how they can get involved with Future Prairie. Absolutely. Yeah. So I really encourage people to get involved and attend our events, help us with signal boosting, which means sharing what we share on social media. Studies have shown that that can go a long way for um, online community building that translates to offline community building. So I'm, uh, I, I know it seems like a silly or lightweight version of allyship, but it is real support and it um, I see the numbers myself and it matters a lot um, when we get that type of help. Um, in terms of supporting queer artists, people are always welcome to donate to our organization. We are a nonprofit, so all of that is tax deductible. We take PayPal, Square Cash, Venmo, checks, and credit cards through our website, which is futureprairie.com. We also have a quarterly newsletter that talks about what we've been up to and uh, ways people can explore some of the new art that's being created in Portland. And uh, we also welcome any volunteers or community members who want to help us with creating a more inclusive and diverse art community. We have a show coming up in Southeast Portland uh, in the next month or two at a gallery called Sator. And what a really tangible form of support we need with that is gallery sitting. It means basically just babysitting the art and keeping the doors open so the public can come in and view the art. Because all, almost all of our artists are working class, most of them have to go to work so they can't be, you know, they, they, they can't be sitting in a gallery all day <laughs> hosting guests. So uh, yeah, it, it seems simple, but little, little things like that, um, that, that type of volunteering and allyship means the world to us. You started Future Prairie Radio in 2018. Could you describe your experience of starting a podcast? Like, was that something that you had ever done before? You know, it wasn't. It was completely new. And it had a lot to do with just being surrounded by incredible community and uh, meeting people and wanting to get to know them better, not only just as interesting people or artists that I admired, but I was especially interested in their process. I asked a lot of questions about how did you make this art? How did you overcome writer's block? Things like that, um, which is certainly something that I need help with and I meet a lot of other artists who do as well. Yeah, and so it came it came out of that, and then also just wanting to riff on the future. I I was feeling incredibly frustrated at the time with local politics. I was actively participating in Portland political spaces like 
the city club, going to different um, art meetups down at City Hall. Um, we had just gotten our first official artist representation within Portland Parks and Rec. Um, I was their initial or inaugural artist in residence. And it just, the conversations were so <laughs> wild <laughs> to witness. You know, it was a politician block and riffing about artists they didn't know any personally um, or, or they weren't in conversation with them whatsoever. And yet they were creating policy about them in 2018. We were reviewing things like the arts tracks that we have here in Portland and, and other similar programming. So, yeah, I really just wanted to document and um, archive more narratives from queer people because I saw how much that was missing from the cultural landscape. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what advice would you give to someone who is having really interesting or relevant conversations in their community, conversations that should be documented in a podcast or on the radio <laughs> or in some other project? How do you just get the wheels moving and get to a point where you are now that Future Prairie is, you know, a 501c3 nonprofit with funding, with with a reach? Yeah, well, definitely something I've learned <laughs> from, from just my short time in this space is that not everything has to be a nonprofit. So I would say, you know, if people are thinking about that, don't jump to it. Definitely do your research first about how challenging it can be and what alternate models there might be, including turning something into a small business. It's a, you know, it's a great time to be an entrepreneur in terms of the development of social spaces. The way TikTok is developing specifically represents a little bit of a democratization of this creative space. So I would say if you can access a smartphone and one of those cheap tiny microphones you can get on Amazon, you have the equipment you need to speak with people in your community and host meaningful conversations and consider archiving them. Um, and the most interesting space for that right now is definitely TikTok, uh, more so than a podcast, I would say. Mm. But also just to point out, um, in terms of building uh, wealth or stability or social influence with a brand online, although it, is, it has been a little bit democratized because of um, the affordability of smartphones, building real power capital in that way is always going to require conforming with traditional Western beauty standards, as well mm -hmm. as accessing capital and resources like blogging equipment, um, paid video editors, technical training, SEO consultants. So, you know, navigating these ever-evolving tools is, is quite a social game. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of pressure to commodify oneself, um, use beauty and charm to gain social status in that space. And so I would just caution people who are getting into that, make sure that the art continues to be about the art because commodifying yourself as a brand is, can be a little bit demoralizing. Mm. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. What's in store for Future Prairie Radio, the podcast this year? Yeah, we have a, a project going on that is still within the podcast, but it's a little bit of a special series. It is led by um, one of the only Black male professional opera singers in the Northwest. His name is Emmanuel Henri, and his stage name is Henri. And he has a neat project that is a subset of the podcast where he has been interviewing his elders and speaking with his musical mentors that paves the way for him to have the career he has now. 
as a, a black opera singer, which is again, incredibly rare in our region. So um, yeah, there's conversations where he and I are speaking with the original music teachers who trained him and we're sharing those narratives all this spring and summer. That is so exciting. And our listeners can learn more about that project on futureprairie.com. And is there anything else that you want to share with X-Ray's listeners? Yeah, I just want to encourage everyone to continue the incredibly sacred cultural work of art making. It is not something that's easy to do. It certainly doesn't have a, a lot of financial worth or value placed on it right now in this in this time in this society. Um, but it's not it's not a reason to not do it. Um, I just want to, yeah, send, send encouragement and love and support to anyone who is uh, pursuing such important work. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today. I've been speaking with Joni Whitworth, founder of Future Prairie, an artist collective here in Portland, Oregon. And uh, I'll see you. I'll see you on the prairie in the future, Joni. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having me.